Well, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 12 all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to look at that section of Scripture this morning. If you're new with us, we've been in this series now uh, for a while. We're wrapping it up here in just a few weeks. But this series has been titled Anchored. Because really what we're, what we're doing is we're answering this question. How do you, how do I find stability in the midst of rough waters? So you could have come in these doors this morning and you're experiencing rough waters, difficult circumstances in your life right now. You could have maybe just gone out of that season. And here's what I know. There will come a time in our life in the future where difficult seasons will come upon us because we live in a sinful world and or it's just the way that we've been seeing in God's word that God allows those things for us to go through difficult seasons so that we can grow in our walk with the Lord in a way that really can't be duplicated any other way. And so what we've been looking at through the book of Philippians, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is how do we experience stability when the circumstances around us can cause us to feel unstable? And the Apostle Paul writes this book, those of you who have been here know this, he writes this letter to the church at Philippi while he's in his first imprisonment in Rome, while he's encountering extreme circumstances, not knowing if he's going to live or if he's going to die. But what he writes in this letter to this church is, is how to experience joy, stability, how to be spiritually mature in your walk with the Lord so that even in the midst of unstable circumstances, your stability is unmovable because it's anchored in Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you a question this morning because I like to get an idea of the crowd that I'm talking to. And, and so I want you to actually raise your hand for this. How many of you would say that you are a goal-oriented person? Raise your hand. Okay, so fairly significant amount of you, and, but not the majority. And you know, as I thought to myself, uh, and thought of my own life, I thought, well, I'm, I'm a, I, w- I, th- I think I'm a goal-oriented person. But what I found was interesting is when I did some research, here's what I found, and I really struggled to really believe it because it was so staggering to me, is that it revealed that, and what I found, and it was consistent with what I read in various places, that only 3% of people make goals. So like, <laughs> We're breaking the curve here at Harvest Bible Chapel. And uh, so kudos to you. But only 3% of people make goals. And so many of you, maybe some of you are like, well, I better raise my hand, but really I don't. Uh, Maybe that was some of you, but 3%. So here's what else I found interesting. Only 1% of the people surveyed keep their goals. See, I say that because the title of the message is this, and it's what we're gonna see in this passage of scripture this morning. It's this question Very simple question, but a question that takes some thought. What is your goal? What is your goal? What is your goal for your life? And we ask that question because Paul in this passage of Scripture, he actually says that in verses 10 and 11, we looked at this last week, he states what his goal is. In the passage of Scripture that we're going to read today, he makes reference to the goal that's found in verses 10 and 11. So can you point your eyes back up to it before we read verses 12 through 4-1? It says in verse 10 and 11, Paul says this, that I may know him. Like this is the goal of my life, 
that I may know him. Remember last week we talked about what that means is this deep, ever-growing, ever-widening relationship with Jesus Christ. It's more than head knowledge. Like, I want to know him. I want to grow in my relationship with him. And Paul says, that's my goal, that I may know him. But he doesn't stop there. What else does he say? He says, and the power of his resurrection. Like, I want to know the Lord. I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord. And I want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit made possible through the resurrection. Like, I want to see that ever more present in my life on a daily basis. Man, I want to know him. I want to experience the power of his resurrection. And then what else does he say? And I, even when suffering comes, that am I sharing his sufferings, becoming more like him in his death? In other words, I understand, though I don't long for it, though I don't pray for it, but when suffering comes, man, I embrace it because I understand it is a way the Lord uses in my life to grow my worth in him. For me to see that goal come to fruition, to become more like Jesus. And then he says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection for the dead. Remember we said that? Paul's not saying, I'm not sure this is going to happen. He's saying that in a humble way. Like, I don't deserve it. But what I long for is that day where I'm no longer in my process of sanctification becoming more like Jesus, but there's coming a day where I will experience glorification, that I will be with Jesus Christ forever and ever. Paul says in verses 10 and 11, this is my goal, that I might know him, the power of his resurrections, that I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Man, that's my goal. That's my goal. So I want to pose to you this. I want you to write this down, and I, even if you don't normally take notes, I want to encourage you to write this down, and it's this phrase, the goal for my Christian life is fill in the blank. Don't write fill in the blank, <laughs> fill in the blank. My goal for my Christian life is, what is it? See, some of you might be thinking right now, well, if I'm putting in that blank. I want to be a, a, a good husband. I want to be the husband that Jesus wants me to be. Awesome. Hopefully your spouse is also saying, I want to be the wife or husband that the Lord wants me to be. Awesome. Some of you may say, man, I want to grow in, in being a better dad. I want to grow in being a better mom. I want to grow in being a better boss. I want to grow in being a better employee. I want to grow in being a better student. I want to grow in being a better athlete. There's nothing wrong with those goals. But here's the greatest goal for you. And we're gonna see Paul reference this. And he already, we've already said it's found in verses 10 and 11, but he's gonna reference it again in this passage. Here is our ultimate goal as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's this, that my goal for my Christian life is to be, be more like Jesus. That's my goal. That's your goal. That is the umbrella that all other smaller goals fall under. Think about it this way. The way that I be the husband that the Lord wants me to be is to be more like Jesus. The way that you be the wife that the Lord wants you to be is to be more like Jesus. The way that you are a better boss in the way the Lord wants you to be is to grow in becoming more like Jesus. The way that you're a better employee is to become more like Jesus. The way that you're a better student is to become more like Jesus. The way that you are to become a better athlete and to represent Jesus in that sport that you, that you are playing is to be more like Jesus. That is your greatest goal. That's my greatest goal. 
And we're going to see that in this passage. And here's my hope for you. Is that when you walk out of these doors today, that you will say that. That my greatest goal in my Christian life is to be more like Jesus. And so the question then is this, that we're going to find in this passage of Scripture. I know you're like, when are we going to read it? It's coming. If my greatest goal is to become more like Jesus, then what's awesome is, is this passage of Scripture that Paul writes to this church at Philippi that the Holy Spirit has us at today and lies before us today, we're going to see four ways that we pursue that goal. So look at verse 12. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this. So you ought to be thinking in your mind, well, what is this? It's an important word. Because Paul says, I want you to know that I haven't already obtained this. The this is what he says in verses 10 and 11. He's saying, I haven't obtained this fully yet. Let's continue reading. Or am I already perfect? I haven't obtained this fully. I want you to know, Church of Philippi, that I'm not perfect. Here's the significance of that is because there was false teaching going on during this time that people were actually teaching that in your Christian walk that you could reach a point where you didn't even sin anymore. Wouldn't that be nice? That you could actually experience perfection before you were in heaven. And so Paul says... The greatest Christian that pretty much has probably ever lived says, I want you to understand, church at Philippi, I haven't fully obtained this and I'm not perfect. Let's continue reading. He says, but I press on. That word is interesting. It has the idea of an ongoing activity. I press on. I keep on running hard after. I'm not coasting in my Goal of becoming more like Jesus. I press on doing what? To make it my own. I want to seize this. I want to seize this goal. I want to see this goal become a reality in my life. I'm going to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. Isn't there a bit of comfort in that statement? Because I don't think any of us have started as many churches as Paul. I don't think as many of us have ever been imprisoned for our faith, though there might be someone in here that I'm not aware of. I don't think any of us have experienced what Paul experienced and how he went through that suffering, though not perfectly, but as an example for us. I think I kind of find it comforting just being completely transparent, that Paul says that he's not perfect, that he's not fully obtained this, that he even closes out the beginning of verse 13 and says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made this my own yet. See, here's the first way that we pursue the goal in being more like Jesus. Number one, admit that you haven't arrived See, there's some people in here that's like, dude, I got no problem admitting that. Others of you need to be reminded of that. And I say the first way is to admit that you haven't arrived because of what we just read in 
verse 12 and the beginning of verse 13. See, why is Paul so passionately pursuing this goal in his life? Why does it say he presses on? He runs hard after. He seizes it. He makes it his own. Why ought you to pursue passionately above everything else and to have as the goal above every other goal to be more like Jesus? You want to know why? Here's why. Because we're broken. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, I haven't arrived, you haven't arrived. This is going to be fun. Look to the person next to you and just say, you haven't arrived. It's really fun to watch you say that to one another. Now here's this, look to the person who just said that to you and say this, I know. Like we joke about that, but we need to be reminded this morning, you haven't arrived, and neither have I. I haven't reached a point that I'm like, my goal is to be more like Jesus. I'm there. See, if that's you this morning, man, I'm glad you're here today. And, I'm, and here's the deal, God's even more glad that you're here today. Because the only way that I'm going to run hard after that goal, press on towards that goal, seize it, make it my own, is to first admit that I'm not there yet. And neither are you. See, there's great humility in that passionate pursuit. See, I'm not going to pursue hard after something if I first don't have a self-awareness of who I am. I still struggle. I still sin. I still fall flat on my face. And I'm not saying to admit we haven't arrived in a self-loathing way. In a way that just is in a pit and it causes us to be depressed or discouraged. No, 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 no. The reason why Paul says this is because he's combating this mentality that somehow we can be perfect. And he understands the danger in thinking that way because that actually stops your progress in becoming more like Jesus. That's why Paul emphasizes, wait a minute, you need to be reminded that I'm not perfect. Paul says, wait a minute, you need to be reminded that I haven't fully obtained what my goal is in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 3, being more like Jesus. Wait a minute, you need to understand that I still need to make this my, my own in a greater way. But did you see there the awesomeness of this phrase? The reason why we press on? The reason why we do this? The reason why our goal is to become more like Jesus more and more every day? Look at what it says there in verse 12, that he makes it his own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul's saying, I press on, and you need to press on. Like that's a command that we need to go after. It's not a negotiable, well, maybe this is my goal and maybe it's not. No, no, no. My goal needs to be this. But, but the imperative, the command for you to make your goal to be more like Jesus is motivated by the indicative, by the reality, by the fact that Christ Jesus has made you his own. Like Christ Jesus made you his own even when you fully understand that you've not arrived. That Christ Jesus made you his own, Romans 5, 8, in the midst of your sin. 
See, the reality of the gospel that Jesus loved me in spite of my sin and Christ came and lived perfection and died perfection on a cross and rose again three days later, man, that is the motivation for me to press on. That's the motivation for me to say, Lord, you love me even though I haven't arrived yet. But it's not just motivated out of a love that Jesus Christ has for you, but it's also understanding that I don't need to be satisfied with where I am right now. I'm thankful for it. I praise God that I'm not who I used to be. But I'm not satisfied as who I am right now. And so if I'm going to pursue after a goal to be more like Jesus, then I need to first have a self-awareness to say, listen, I admit I haven't arrived. Here's the second thing. Look at what he says in verse 13. The end of verse 13, he says, but this one thing I do. I understand I haven't fully made it my own. I'm not perfect yet. Christ Jesus has made me his own. So here's what I do. Here's the thing that I do. It says, I I am forgetting what lies behind. And I'm straining forward. That word straining, that phrase straining forward means every muscle fiber is leaning into, it's that idea of a runner, that when they're running towards the finish line, that they're stretching forward so that they can cross that finish line with every fiber of their being. They're running towards that tape. That's the idea. Not coasting. No, no, no. I strain forward. I press on. There's that word again. Keep on pressing on towards the goal. What's the goal? Verses 10 and 11. Don't forget that. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So you're like, well, what's the difference between the goal and the prize? See, the goal, we've already stated what that is, but the prize, what I'm straining forward for, is that day when I'll be with Jesus. That day where I will get to experience perfection because I will be with him in glory. That's the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. But if you're here on this earth, and every one of us are, God's not done with us yet. We're forgetting what lies behind. We're straining forward with what lies ahead. We're pressing on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call on Christ Jesus. And then in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. I love that phrase because it literally says, if you are growing in your walk with the Lord, a sign of your maturity is is that you understand that this is your goal. And it's subservient to every other goal. That being more like Jesus, that is is what my life is to be about. We talked about chapter one about what my purpose is. My purpose is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Paul says that I'm going through this to advance the gospel. We know that's what our purpose is, but if my goal's off, my purpose is gonna be off. I can't be an ambassador, a representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ if I'm not focused on being more like Jesus. And so he says, let those of you who are mature, you need to think this way. And don't you see God's grace in this next phrase? Look at it. Verse 15, and if, any of any, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Isn't that awesome? That even if you're not thinking that way, 
that way right now. God is committed enough to you that through circumstances, through the opening of God's Word, through something, God's going to show you that this is your goal. And he says, verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's hold true to this. This is what truth is. This is the goal of your life. This is the goal of my life. So here's the second way that you and I pursue that goal. Number two, forget the past and focus on the future. We saw in chapter three already, closing out this chapter today, but we saw that Paul makes a break with everything in his past. Remember, he lists out his resume there early on in chapter three, and he says, when I look at those things, man, at one time I saw them as gain, but now I see them as loss. Why? Because I understand where my worth is found. I understand my worth is in my relationship with Jesus Christ. He's my worth. I understand my goal is to be more like Jesus, and so the things that I've accomplished, the things that I used to look at for significance, man, I see them as loss. I no longer see them as gain. See, Paul already talked about how he sees everything in his past, both good and sinful. Paul murdered Christians before he became a Christian. If anybody had to overcome such a wall of his past life, it was Paul. And some of us in this room this morning are being hindered and held back and in chains over what you have done in your past. And you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And then he loves to whisper in your ear. It may even feel like he's yelling in your ear. Oh man, God can't use you. Seriously, you and what you've done in your past, like you think that the Lord is going to be able to use you. Some of you, you failed and you're thinking in your mind, man, I failed. There's no way that God can continue to use me. There's no way that I'm gonna be able to have a platform again to be used of God again. And, and you're just gripped and enchained by your past. And you need to speak truth to that. You need to remind yourself of verses that many of you know very well. 1 John 1.9, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me, not from some righteousness, but all righteousness. You need to preach that to yourself. James 4.6, just a little phrase in James 4 where it says, but God gives more grace. I've said this before, that we need to remind ourselves of a principle, and it's called the gravity of grace. That grace flows from its highest point, the Lord Jesus Christ, and flows down to its lowest point, the worst of your sin. And I say that because of what James 4, 6 says, but God gives more grace. My sin is great, God gives more grace. I fell flat on my face this last week and I feel so down and so discouraged and I can't believe I did that. You need to preach yourself. Wait a minute, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sin. He comes to me from all unrighteousness. God gives more grace. And you need to move on and say to yourself, no, 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 I'm not going to allow the past to keep me in chains. If God's forgiven me of my past, who am I not to forgive myself? This idea of I can't forgive myself is totally contrary to God's word. Because if the God of the universe has forgiven me through Jesus Christ, who am I to say I can't forgive myself? 
Some of you have failed. And though it was not sinful, you failed. You tried something, it didn't work. And maybe you've seen some consequences in your life. And all the enemy wants to do is to bring back that failure. Over and over again. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I, wasn't, I was so short-sighted and I didn't see that coming. Why in the world did that happen? And what you need to say to yourself is, wait a minute, my ultimate goal is to be more like Jesus and I need to forget what lies behind and I need to strain forward and keep in my gaze the future that is mine in Jesus Christ. See, that's what God wants to say to our sin in the past. But listen to me, some of us are over here and we're living on the fumes of what we've done for the Lord 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago. And we've quote unquote retired from pursuing that goal of being more like Jesus. We're like, man, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I come to church, I'm in life group, I give of my resources. Man, I'm comfortable where I'm at. God, don't ask me to do anything more. God, I'm just gonna, I like it right here. Others of you look at and you say, you know what, I did my time. I mean, I remember serving in youth ministry. I remember serving in children's ministry. I remember giving my life to whatever it is and pouring into young people or adults or whatever it is. And man, I even have, I even have grown adults right now that would look at my life and say, man, thank you so much for investing in my life and praise God that you've done that. But you're living on the fumes of what you've done in the past and forgetting what lies behind just doesn't speak to the sins that God has forgiven us of, but it also speaks to our achievements. Listen, you're still here because God still wants to do something in and through you. Did you get that? When God calls my number, he's done with Johnny Pereira. And because you are breathing right now, the Lord's not done with you yet. He has more work to do in you. He has more work to do through you. I remember when Lori and I got married, and uh, be, man, it's like 19 and a half years. It's crazy. But I remember when I moved out of my parents' house and we got married, my mom like literally just like gave me boxes of stuff. Here you go. We're making your room into an office now. Ain't no coming back. Here you go. And I remember I took that stuff and I kind of just transported it to, you know, when I, was, when I was in seminary, Lori and I were married, so we moved it to seminary housing and it kind of stayed in that box. And I remember when, we, when I graduated seminary, we were moving out of seminary housing and going to our first church. And you ever experience when you're loading a moving truck that, man, you get really loose and free with stuff that you one time thought you could never part with? I don't know, maybe I'm the only one in that. Like, hey, you want this? Go ahead and take it. You taking it is more worth to me than you giving me $5 for it. So take it. Well, I remember I had this box and I didn't even realize what was in it until I opened it up and it was full of my high school trophies. And man, I remember in high school, man, I was proud of those things. For soccer, for basketball, different sports. Man, I was proud of those things. I had them displayed all over my dresser and in my room. And I mean, I got a lot of significance out of those trophies. But I wonder how many of you, if you came over to my house and you went up stairs into 
kind of family room, man cave type deal, and you saw that I had on, on a dresser all of my high school trophies. Now, I don't know about you. I'm probably stepping on some sensitive, I'm probably stepping on some toes right now. I'm wondering, should I go here or not? Because I'm sure I'm going to walk into, somebody in here still is doing this. But if I walked into your house and you got all your high school trophies on display and you're 42 years old, I'm like, bro, it's time to move on. And so I remember at, at, how old was I? 26 years old, taking that box of those trophies that I was super proud of when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. And I remember just throwing them in a dumpster. And Lori was like, you sure you want to do that? I was like, man, I got the memories in my head. And just as silly as it would be as a 42-year-old to display trophies that I earned at 16, 17, 18, and man, that was an awesome thing to be able to do that. How ridiculous it would be for me to be living in the past still. And some of us are just taking up space in our Christian walk. And listen to me, I'm not minimizing what God has done in and through you. Praise God for that. But if you look at your life and you're, man, I remember a zeal I used to have, and I don't have it right now. I guarantee you it's because you've replaced the goal of being more like Jesus with something else. And Paul says, the way that I press on and press forward and lean in is I forget what lies behind and I keep the upward call of God in Christ Jesus in my line of sight because I understand that I'm here to be more like Him to make a difference in light of eternity. Listen to me. Nobody runs a race running backwards. You ever try to do that? You're just worried about not falling. Nobody runs a race looking back like this. And I think the second way that's pointed out in this passage of Scripture that we need to remind ourselves of so that we can pursue hard after the goal is to forget the past and focus on the finish. Jesus says this in Luke 9.62 where He says, No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. No one. Eric Liddell, some of you may not be familiar with that name, but when I say this movie, Chariots of Fire, you're probably familiar with that. Eric Liddell, called the Flying Scotsman. He's most famous for the Paris Olympics in 1924, where he set the world record in the 400 meters, which at the time, the world record that he set was 47.6 seconds. He was five meters ahead of everybody else. It's how fast he was. It's what he's known for. But what I find most interesting about this story as I was reading about him this week is that in 1925, the very next year, he moved to China to spread the gospel there in that dark land at the time. And in 1941, there was this growing threat at the time of Japanese occupation. So he sent his wife and his three girls to Canada to stay with 
his wife's family why he stayed on to serve among the poor and he suffered many hardships, it says, but kept on running hard after Jesus. And in 1945, so some 20 years later, he died at the age of 43 from a brain tumor that many people believe was because of the being exposed to the elements and the malnourishment of the place where God called him to spread the gospel. See, the reason why I point to a man like this it's because he wasn't satisfied with the status quo. He didn't say, man, God gave me a platform. I'm an Olympian. I want a gold medal. He was a follower of Jesus Christ when he did that. He had a tremendous testimony. He could have easily said, man, I'm just going to tour around the United States and share my story. And if God called him to do that, then he should have been obedient to that. But God called him, no, 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 I have something greater for you. I want you to go to a, to a people that haven't heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Eric Liddell could have said, wait a minute, no, 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 I, I'm good with where I'm at. I'm good with where I'm at. I'm content with where I'm at. No, no, no. But he says, wait a minute, my life is not just about living on the fumes of what God has done in and through me in the past. Praise God for that. But as long as I'm here on this earth, I'm straining forward to the goal for the upward call of Christ Jesus. I'm focused on the future. I'm focused on making a difference because of the destiny that God has called me to through Jesus Christ. I'm going to forget the past and focus on the finish. Here's the third way that we pursue the goal, and it's found in verses 17 through 19. And we're going to read it, but here it is. Here's the third thing. Surround yourself with godly relationships. It's an important way to pursue hard after that goal. Look at what Paul says in verses 17 through 19. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Listen to me. He wasn't being prideful in that. He wasn't saying, let me put myself up on a pedestal. What he's saying is, is, I know, you know, I just said it. I'm not perfect. I'm just like you. I'm running my race. I'm straining forward to that goal of being more like Jesus. In light of the eternity and the call of perfection that's found when I'm with Jesus in heaven or he comes back before God takes me home. Like, I want you to join in imitating me. I'm on the same journey that you are. Look at what I'm doing. It's not a prideful statement. And then look what else he says. He says, and keep your eyes, keep your focus on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What he's saying is there's others there in Philippi who are running this race well too. Who though not perfect are reminding themselves of the goal that is theirs and is ours. Surround yourself with those people. And then he points to individuals who are not. Verse 18, he says, For many of them who I am often told you and now tell you even with tears. So evidently, these are individuals who are playing the game. Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindsets mindset on earthly things. That's why I said the third way that you and I pursue hard after this goal of being more like Jesus is we need to surround ourselves with godly relationships. Now let me say this as a caveat because I want to be very clear. That doesn't mean that, well, I'm only going to have Christian friends. I don't know. We're put here to represent how the gospel has changed us. I need to rub shoulders with people that have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I need to have friendships with those people. I ought to be bringing, bringing joy and bringing uh, 
health to those relationships. But I also need to have an inner circle of people around me that are encouraging me to run hard after that goal that we've been seeing here this morning. You've heard that phrase, a great indicator of your spiritual maturity is who your friends are. Those closest to you. I just want to list a laundry list here from this passage of Scripture. They're stated in the negative in verses 18 and 19. Or what are some characteristics of a godly relationship? These aren't on the screen, so you can write these down. Here's the first one. Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior rather than rejecting Him. Like, that's the first quality of a godly relationship. They need to know Jesus. Pretty self-explanatory, right? Because it says here, there's some who walk as enemies of the cross. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with your Jesus thing. Like, do those people need Jesus? Do you need to show love to those people? Absolutely. But listen to me, some of you in here are dating someone that's not a follower of Jesus Christ, and they have no desire to know him. And you're rationalizing in your mind, well, he's a good guy, he's a good girl. But listen to me, I can't think of a closer relationship than someone that you're dating, someone that you're engaged to. If you're married to them, then you need to pray for their salvation. But if you're not married yet, and you're in a relationship with someone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ and has no regard for the things of the Lord, that's not a relationship that's going to encourage you to pursue your goal. It's actually going to want to draw you away from it. And some of you are so afraid of being alone that you're justifying your actions. And listen to me, if I could say this once, I could say it a thousand times with people that have been in my office. You are more alone marrying the wrong person than waiting for the right person. And listen to me, if you're, in a relation, if you're married and you're with a spouse who's not a believer, listen to me, nowhere in Scripture do you say, well, I'm just going to leave him. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're dating, you're engaged, it's not done yet until you say, I do. Now, this isn't a marriage on, on dating, but I'm not bypassing that opportunity either. Believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's a characteristic of a godly relationship. I need to surround myself. My inner circle needs to be people that are spurring me on. Look at what it says in verse 19b. It says, their God is their belly. The characteristic, another characteristic is I need to surround myself with people that are serving the Lord more than their sinful desires. Like it's not all about how do I fulfill my appetites. That's not going to help me pursue that goal. Here's the third thing. Relationships that promote obedience to the Lord rather than sinful behavior. Look at what it says. They glory in their shame. Paul's saying, don't be around those people as your inner circle. They're glorying in their shame. They're actually glorying in their sinfulness. Wait a minute. I need to surround my inner circle with people that are going to promote me to be obedient to the Lord, to be in his word, to be in prayer with him, to be applying God's word to my life, to being more like Jesus as my greatest goal. I need to be around those people not people that are going to glory in their sin. And look what else he says, with minds set on earthly things. See, I need to surround myself with those who have aspirations for eternal impact. Not just about how much I'm going to make, how much I can accumulate, what am I going to drive, like that being my highest goals. Let me tell you something. We all can fall into that trap. Wait a minute, I surround myself with people whose minds are set more on heavenly things than earthly things. 
Here's the fourth way and we'll be done. And how we pursue that goal of being more like Jesus. It's found in verse 20 and end of verse 1 of chapter 4. Stand firm in your identity in Jesus Christ. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's who we are. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. That that's what I have awaiting me. That's my hope. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. He says, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lower body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I need to stand firm in my identity in Jesus Christ. It's the one thing that no one nor anything can be taken away. No one can take that from me. No person, no thing, no circumstance. That I am saved by the grace of God. And man, that gives me hope. That even in the amazing things that we get to enjoy in this life, it's still not heaven. And that the difficult things that feel like hell... But there's still a heaven that I long for. Man, that's my hope. That's your hope. If you're a child of God this morning, man, this hope reminds me that I won't always struggle. Paul says, man, we long for that day where our earthly body will be no more. That the sin that we experience, cancer and struggles and racism and injustice and all the different things, the wars and the terrorism and all of that that's driven by sin, that there's coming a day where that will cease to exist. There's coming a day where I won't no longer have to struggle and be able to say, I haven't arrived. But there's coming a day where I can say, by the grace of God, Lord, I'm with you, I've arrived. Man, there's a hope. that Paul makes reference to in this passage. Man, I have hope today because get this, Jesus wins. Are you thankful for that? Listen, nobody runs a race to lose. Nobody competes to lose. Trust me, nobody competes to get a participation trophy. Worst idea ever. There's winners, And there's losers. And what we have as a promise is that I run my race knowing, focusing on the finish in the reality that Jesus Christ has already won. And I run and I pursue that goal to be more like Jesus because he has won. He subjected all things to himself. And Paul says we got to stand in that. Because your goal and my goal is to be more like Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed in this room. Listen to me, there's two, two groups of people in this room today that, I wanna, that God has been speaking to. One is people, and this may be you, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
And I hope what you've heard from God's word is how that can be possible. How you can be a citizen of heaven. How you can be a part of God's family. And you right now in the quietness of your seat can call out to God and say, God, I've been relying on the good that I can do. And I realize that I can't earn a relationship with you. You sent Jesus Christ to live perfection in place of my sin. Died on a cross what my sin deserved. And you rose again victorious. And in the quietness of your seat, you can call out to God right now and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I put my trust in you as Lord and Savior. And you say, that's too easy. No, no, no. The reason why that's what it takes is because God did what was complicated so that you could put your faith in him. And the rest of us in this room, and I put myself in this category, we need to bring ourselves back to what is the goal that I have been living my Christian life by? And if there was anything in that blank greater than to be more like Jesus, then I need to bring myself back and say, Lord, forgive me for putting something else in that blank that only you are deserving of. We're going to sing a song this morning called This We Know. And we need to bring ourselves back to today what we know that we make this goal our own. Why, in verse 12, Paul says, because Jesus has made us his own. 